Welcome back to Cold Pizza. We're glad you could join us again this week uh, as we finish out our series on our distinctives at Christ the Lord. We're finally landing on the hot topic for the culture, that is biblical anthropology and gender roles. Preached by Pastor Matt. Pastor Matt's here with us today. Hey guys. And we are going to wrap this puppy up. One of the most helpful things I think this past week was the orientation language of what the two are oriented towards, with men being particularly oriented towards the earth uh, and that guarding, keeping, protecting, ordering, uh, which, side note, sounds very similar to some of the four language that we use for elders of no feed, lead, protect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's shockingly similar. Uh, but then with women oriented towards the man and then ultimately towards the family. And what I think was helpful about that, just in the way that you went through Genesis 1 and 2, is that how, and, and I don't know why you neglected to mention this yesterday, but in chapter 3, the curses as well, when we think about our biblical anthropology, it goes all the way through the fall, through redemption, through consummation. Yesterday, you were setting it up inside the um, the pattern of creation, and so mm-hmm. that first part of the story that we do in our liturgy. Uh, but when we jump into the next uh, kind of chapter, well, literally chapter in chapter 3, into the fall, we see that those curses reflect and reinforce those orientations as well. Um, the The man is cursed in his orientation towards the earth, and the woman is cursed in her orientation towards the man and family. Uh, because otherwise, we should only have women work, right? It's not mm-hmm. cursed for them. And wouldn't you know it, if you hop on Instagram right now, you'll find a bunch of pregnant men who have no pain in childbearing. <laughs> so we should just flip those. So, so yeah, the women do all the work and let the men have all the babies. That's right. That's yeah. awesome. That's exactly how it was designed. So I, I just think it's really helpful to see, too, that that, that pattern of creation uh, plays out across the story, even as it becomes, in this case, twisted at the fall. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't really have anything to add to that. I think it's fantastic. Thanks. That's what I'm here for. I don't know. Uh, I think the reason I didn't go on to chapter three was that I just wanted to stay pre-fall. I just wanted to show that this, this, with like trying to stay away from any confusion as to like post-fall, these are the way things are supposed to be, um, but they're messed up, like in, in the fall bringing in any, any kind of confusion there. That this is the Lord made it this way. Yeah, a lot of times people take the fall and use it as permission. Yeah, yes. So, but but yeah, absolutely, I agree. Like the the God curses in a way that reflects the and reinforces the roles that He just gave in Genesis one and two. So the Lord is following the paradigm that He sets up in Genesis one and two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those orientations are super helpful and and important to keep in mind for biblical anthropology as we really do start talking about those roles. So when you think about uh, the other scary word that you shared yesterday, the P word, (laughs) word. patriarchy, um, or father rule, which I think is not just more tasteful, but also helpful. (laughs) What are we asking, actually talking about? We're talking about father rule, rulership. Uh, but when you think about patriarchy, when we want to, we started with talking about a lot of what does this look like in the church, 
But then what does it look like for the family? We touched on some more about even what would you say that this means for the broad culture? Yeah, this is one of those things I wanted to I, I wanted to draw out in the sermon, but I just uh, it has great application uh, and it's in the text. So I think it would have been permissible preaching wise. Um, it just didn't suit our direct purposes in uh, being a distinctive for our church at least and give them time restraints. Um, so yeah, so if marriage, meaning the the fruitful multiplication and filling the earth with image bearers, is to be the norm. That means majority of human beings were intended and designed pre-fall to be in a hierarchical structure where the wife doesn't submit to all men, but submits to her husband— as he leads in the mission with an orientation towards the earth, and women then, and again, majority then of women are going to be in submission to their husbands, then that means, and and that's the majority picture of the entire population. Like, that's the way it was intended to be. I'm not saying the way it is right now, but the way it was intended to be. Then that means that God designed it such that the world would be populated mostly by households where the men are working towards with an orientation towards the earth and leading in that mission. So what that practically means, and I, and I know this is going to make a, 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 a feminist like curl up and die or something, but like what that means is that majority of the world was intended to be ran by men like meaning that their influence in the world is going to be the the dominant reality now i know when we look at that in our culture right now what we see is a whole lot of evil men running things but i think there's two things we need to think about there one um that those a, we have to recognize that that is the reality. I mean, majority of the world is ran by men. Uh, that's just patriarchy. Like, that's that's what we see around us. Even in our, even in America, I would argue that it's not ran by a bunch of feminists. It's ran by men deviously scheming behind those women, um, getting them to do all the work so they can sit back and do nothing. So first we have to recognize that the way the world has played out for 6,000 years is patriarchy. And I think that's in, in part because that's the way God designed it, that, that that would happen. But the second thing we need to realize with that when we look at our current state is that it's evil patriarchy. Like it's evil men leading the world by and large. So we... That's an important distinction. There's a modifier before those two things. Yeah. Godly patriarchy and evil patriarchy. Yeah, and there should not be a—and here's here's the point from the creational story. There should not be a need for the modifier. There should not be a need to say biblical patriarchy. There should not be—that was not the way it was intended. It was just intended to be patriarchy. It was intended for Adam to lead his family and for all of his sons to lead their families and all of their his grandsons to lead their families and they would fill the earth 
uh, the the whole earth as a collection of households where the men are leading in the mission toward the earth while the wives are leading in that mission through the family. And so in a sense, it's maybe not good or evil or even godly patriarchy, but true patriarchy or not patriarchy. Yeah, I think that's, yes. Is, is your Adam is following the father. This yes. is right father rule. It's rightful father rule. And, and really, this is in part, if not the primary reason for some of the mess we're in as a as a culture, uh, uh, for some of the reason why the the church world is in a mess that it's in, is it's it's been men ruling wrongly mm-hmm. uh, in our culture, around the church, inside the church. Um, they that has gone awry, and we're suffering the consequences because men have not been leading the way men have been supposed to lead mm-hmm. so yeah that's what i think it means for the broad culture i think um yeah i think that's it yeah well the abdication of leadership and the abdication of the home the household i mean that's that was an important component of what you brought up earlier is that it's households yeah. and we see in mass a abandoning and abdication of the household yeah which i I kind of hesitate, honestly, to use the word abdication because it makes it sound like there's an absence of, like an absence of leadership. But I, I think that's a, a misstatement mm. um, because if we understand, or the way I understand Ephesians 5, where he says that the man is the head of the household. No matter what. No matter what. It's, it's inescapable. Then that, then that means that the the masculine leadership or patriarchy is inevitable. So the leadership is inevitable. So there's no way for him to actually abdicate leadership. Yeah. But it's a matter of misusing that leadership. Mm-hmm. So he might, you know, what we would call abdication, where he's just absent or he's just sitting on the couch doing nothing or, or whatever, and we call that abdicating. Well, he's actually just leading from a position of rebellion. Very, I mean, very that's, horribly. Yeah, he's leading horribly. Uh, or, or he's leading really well towards evil. Yeah. So he's he's successfully leading because it was built into the DNA of humankind. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of what, what's he leading toward. Yeah. He's leading towards the glory of God, or towards the, the glory of the devil. I mean, that, that's that's really the two options. Yeah. That's helpful, and and that's also important. Why the journey of masculinity itself is so important, because where you have what should be a man leading as a husband and a father, you have a boy who never yeah. grew up, who yeah. found himself to be a, a head of a family, but is still leading as a boy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. he still has that dominant influence, but what's the dominant influence is a, a teenage child. A character of a boy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's super helpful. Well, let's go ahead and keep driving that into the house. When you think about how this plays out more in the Christian home, ideally, um, what are some practical components for how we see that journey even of boy to to man in the home? And and what does this look like for for femininity to develop as well? Yeah, you know, man, I'm just finishing up a book um, called Praise Her in the Gates. It's a book on Christian motherhood by Nancy Wilson, and which I'd, I'd highly recommend. Um, matter of fact, I think I'm going to use that book 
probably is a key resource in the class on motherhood and fatherhood that I'm going to teach. But she brings up this idea, like if we're understanding gender roles appropriately, both in mom and dad, uh, and then understanding how we're raising kids, like that has implications just in the way a mother should treat her son versus the way a mother should treat her daughter and the way a, a father should treat his son versus the way a father should treat his daughter. Like there's, there's different um, things. So she gave the, the one example I found just extremely helpful is that we need to understand that Christian piety in boys and girls is going to look different and it's really tempting for a for one gendered parent to only see or recognize or affirm can can you define piety for for people what are they looking for yeah piety would be like the expression of their uh, commitment to the lord like the uh yeah, the, uh, what it looks like for them to follow the Lord, uh, to express their, um, yeah, does that faith. make sense? To express their faith. To express their faith. There we go. Yeah, very, very good. So, so for example, uh, she gave this example in the book, that, that a, a daughter might enjoy writing down her memory verse and giving it to her mommy to hang it up on the, on the uh, fridge. But a boy might express his piety or his faith by telling a bully on the playground to shut up. Now, it's really easy in that moment you know, for a, for a mom to look at her daughter and go, oh, wow, she really loves the Lord, and look at her son and go, oh, man. Now, that's, that's, maybe that's good, but maybe he could do better next time. Hmm. It's also really tempting for a father in that moment to go, okay, daughter, that's cute, but my son, he's got it. Like that's yeah. where it's at, and and so the there's kind of twofold there. Like a in the child, <clears throat> recognizing that because of the way God's made us as man and as a woman, that our expressions of piety are going to look different and should be encouraged to look different. But then, second of all, when we're in the parenting seat. We have to be careful that we don't squash or discourage one of those expressions in preference for the other, mm -hmm. lest we uh, raise up a bunch of men to act like women, yeah. or we raise up girls to act like boys. Mm -hmm. and, and that's all in a very God-oriented, loving, fearing, pious household, yeah. where that, that's like, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, the danger of how quickly those curses can kind of creep in uh, to where you might have uh, godly fathers accidentally training godly daughters to be, actually enact the curse. Yeah, <laughs> to be ungodly women. Uh-huh, or, or, or wives at least. Or wives, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's really tough and uh, interesting. Uh most I'm laughing because I have four girls. I mean, <laughs> trying to, you know, maintain my own masculinity yet at the same time, masculinely affirm my feminine daughters. Yeah. Um, 
and, and and at the same time impart you know good things of the faith like courage and and boldness but in christ right mm-hmm. uh i think that's why that identity in christ matters so much is that it's it's not just in and of themselves and their gender but we find a lot of these uh common things in christ yeah so yeah that's that's yeah. helpful real quick it was i think it was gavin peacock don't, don't quote me on this um Gavin Peacock and I think Owen Strahan's book on uh, like the grand design. It was a book on uh, complementarity. Um, and he said, it was Gavin, I think speaking at this point, said, you know, I, I want my children to feel my masculine strength, meaning my like physical strength, but I want them to feel it differently. Mm-hmm. I want my my boys to have to wrestle it and to... To, to feel and exercise the desire to overcome it, mm-hmm. um, to conquer. Um, but I want my daughter to feel my masculine strength in a way that she knows is safe yeah, and she's protected. Um, and so I'm not going to push her hard like I'm going to push my sons. I'm going to push my sons to the point where they either got to fight or submit. Like they're... Yep. They're in it to win it, but I want my daughter to know. Uh, for her, I'm, I'm, you know, she's gonna know that daddy's tough and daddy's strong, um, but we're not gonna wrestle until one submits. Yeah, yeah, that, I remember that section. That's super helpful. Yeah, and, and it reinforces the correct things for going both directions. So. Uh, when we continue to think about what we're looking for, what we're pressing in for, what does this do beyond just the formation of the character, but what about in things like education um, and other components of the, the household like that? Yeah. Well, let me narrate for a second just so we know. Like We're practicing theological and cultural maximalism as we think about how does, how does this affect practically how I treat my daughters? Or in this case, how does this affect education? Um, I think in you, if you take education, and let's put it in the most like Christian context. So you've got Christian teachers who are teaching your kids the Word, who love the Lord and want what's best. If they don't have a vision from the Scriptures on what masculinity and femininity looks like, Here's the danger. Your children go to that female teacher, likely a female, uh, who, again, might love the Lord and have all the best intentions and teach them all the memory verses in the world. But she, if she doesn't have a vision for godly, for biblical anthropology, then it could be such that she, like, leads your male children to to act like girls again she, she would never i'm sure never do that on purpose but maybe what she does is she reinforces the feminine pietistic or, or, or uh, feminine piety expressions versus the masculine ones and the masculine ones get kind of shut down mm-hmm. i mean what about the boy out on this on the playground who says hey bully you need to shut up I mean, most teachers, most particularly feminine teachers, are gonna are gonna try to. Ah, man, I you know I, I'm glad you stood up for him, but 
yeah, maybe next time don't say shut up. You know, <laughs> God forbid we say that word. Um, you know, as where I'm trying to like push my boys to say when their classmates are are not paying attention in class for them to say, hey, dude, you need to hush your mouth mm-hmm. and be quiet so, so that I can learn. Um, and, and they don't have to, I'm not trying to say that they have to be mean, but uh, maybe to a bully, you got to stand up. Yes, and, direct. Yeah, you could be, yeah, ex- exactly. So, Which is a masculine we, tendency to be direct. Yes. So we have to be really careful when we think about education. That's uh, that's a particular danger in the homeschool world, mm-hmm. and I and I it's an unintended danger. Um, but I think you have then what you tend typically have in a homeschool world is you have a very dominant mom who is leading her kids and teaching them. Well, then once her kids get into high school, and particularly these boys get to 12, 13, 14 years old. And the dominant figure in their life is is a female. Like that, that gets to be really challenging. If she doesn't have a real eye for a biblical anthropology and gender roles, um, the homeschool world is just going to have a different mess on their hands. Yeah, uh, and, and that's not just the homeschool. Now, now let's take the whole concept and put it in the in the context of a of a pagan educated mm-hmm. system. Where they don't even they they don't just not have a view for a biblical anthropology, but they actually have a view that is in direct intentional opposition. Yeah, of yep. that. Uh, we're not just what's at stake here. Again, we're not what's at stake is not just as bad as this would be. It's not just your daughter wanting to become a boy or your son wanting to become a girl, as bad as that is, what's at stake is a rejection of the image of God and, a, and an affirmation and uh, a grasping uh, for the authority to be God. Mm-hmm. That's what's at stake. Yeah. Yeah, the transgender thing is definitely growing in a commonality, but that's, that's not the first thing, and that's not even the root thing. It is a rejection uh, of the yeah. biblical order on the way Christ, uh, God has created us. And that's, that's why this uh, sermon is biblical anthropology. We're talking about who are we, right? Yeah. How has God made us? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's, that's one thing that I really appreciate about the way that we do children's ministry um, is that my daughters are being uh, taught in the Word by other men yeah. and yep. by other women. It's important uh, to me as a father to have other families invested in my kids, and you guys are, are awesome at that. But there's a, a subcomponent of that that I want them to be instructed by other men, and we mm-hmm. have great men involved in our children's ministry. So that's yeah. that's super helpful to me, even as a as a father of girls, is to have men, even though I want them to be reinforced in their femininity, to be able to see what should men look like in all of these different contexts as we, you know, explore the wheel of maximalism, (laughs) all of these different areas. What is it? What should that look like? What would it look like? Well, we've been talking about the family the household. Let's uh, shift gears to either a little bit uh, before that, or in in some, you know, other cases where families have been broken. What does this look like in, in single parent families or for singles? Yeah, man, why don't you had made this point about 
the self-governed men. What were you thinking there? So you were talking in your sermon about life on mission uh, as one of the further applications towards the end. And the, the idea of being self-governed and trying to just in general, for all humans all the time, keeping the covenant under the rulership of Christ. And if a church is a household of households, and what does it look like for that single person? And you had brought up earlier, I think, in the sermon, the idea from Titus 2 of older women instructing mm-hmm. younger women, but their context is specifically how to love their husbands, how to respect their husbands. But the, And there's, there's lots of instruction there, and there is for a couple of the other cases, but when it gets to men, it says, teach the young men to be self-controlled, mm-hmm. period. <laughs> like... Mm-hmm. That self-controlledness is the gateway to success and all the other things. Yeah. So whether they're young, whether they're old, whether they're married, whether they're single, self-control. And so that picture for for single men in particular, what do I do now? I be self-controlled. I live life on mission as a self-governed, in the Kuiper sphere of sovereignty, a godly self-governed man under the rulership of Christ. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I don't have much to add to that. Yeah, I, I think we got to think through what does this mean for singles. Um, uh, so I I'd had this thought. Um, it was kind of kind of was on the cutting room floor here, but um, like for women, like you can be hospitable and nurturing. Maybe you can hear that motorcycle going down the road right there. There you go. All right, he's gone. Uh, I mean, I assume it's a he. It could be a girl on a motorcycle. But uh, anyways. It's probably Pastor Jeff. (laughs) It probably was. (laughs) Uh, So so anyway, yeah, back back to women. Like you can you can practice hospitality, nurturing, life giving, uh, community driving, like without. Uh, having children without even being married. I mean, just practical things like uh, serve in children's ministry, um, invest in someone else's kids, uh, whether formally or informally, or uh, help your, if you don't have it, your own house, uh, help your mom uh, put on gatherings with other people or um, uh, for other people or... Uh, you know, you can be nurturing to the people around you. Like those, those are all great things that you don't have to have a children or a husband to even do. Uh, same thing on the on the masculine side. Like to be oriented towards the earth and to exercise dominion in those ways. You don't you don't have to have a, f- a house a family, meaning a hu- a wife and kids to to do all of that. Um, that, That's a huge point because that's the benefit of covenant community. People want to take these two gender roles and squash them down to say, well, we can both do both. Yes. And, and miss the point of the fact that in the covenant community, all of the one another's that we're commanded to do in scripture are for both genders. And there's, Hey, I think Jeff's back. Jeff's back. Yeah. (laughs) He's doing his cameo. He's supposed to be on here, but he skipped out. Yeah, the, all the one another's in, in the scriptures from Romans, from, from Ephesians, from Galatians, all of those things are things that both genders are supposed to do. And you can do those in the context of the covenant community. Yeah. Because so, w- when I think about, again, girls and, and women and what, what does that look like for singleness, what does that look like for 
um, for, for marriage and for career type things. I, I've got four girls that I'm looking at at home, and the question that I'm supposed to ask them, at least according to the culture, is how are you going to provide for yourself? How are you going to how are you going to provide for yourself? And, and, and the one that I usually hear is, especially if your marriage doesn't work out, as if that's what we're trying to set them up for. We're setting them up for failure before they even leave the household. How what will you fall back on in case your husband's a deadbeat? Yeah, yeah. And and all this of, is crazy. Yeah, all this does is two things. It pushes them into a career that they may or may not be equipped or even called for. Yeah. Uh, and then two has this kind of expectation that dad is ushering them out of the family at eighteen. And it yeah. may not be out of the family in the classical sense, but that's what we functionally do when we send them off to college. Yeah. They're out of the family. It's time for you to grow up now. Yeah. As opposed to what I've been kind of thinking, um, instead of all of the men who stay in their mom's basement until the, their 30s, what if your daughters were meant to be under dad's provision, even past 18, until they're given away to a husband, a man who's going to provide. Yeah. Well, now I have the opportunity to keep my daughters at home for, who knows, you know, one, two, three, five years under my protection, provision, and a home where they're still learning on what it means to be and developing a productive household, mm -hmm. how to care for the church body, how to be oriented appropriately towards the Lord. Um, and they don't have to be in a free-for-all. I mean, that, that's what the culture is putting them into, some kind mm. of career-based free-for-all where they have to provide for themselves if they don't find a man or until they find a man and once that man's a loser. Yeah. Yeah, I just like, we just got to stop and think. Where do we get the uh, cultural expression that uh, even for even for a young man, that, all right, it's 18, it's time for them to go to college, it's time for them to grow up, it's time for them to be on their own, it's time for them to get their careers in order, it's time for them to, to do all... Where, where do we get that idea from? I mean, that's, that, I'm not saying that that's all bad, but that's just totally uh, a cultural thing that we all just go along with. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden, up oh, it's hands off, there goes my kids, I, I sure do hope they do well. And then when they end up in the pig pit, like we're sitting back going, well, what happened to little Susie? I thought she loved Jesus. Like, wh why do we get into this mindset that it just, this is, this is the way everyone else does it. This is the norm. This is the way I'm going to do it. I mean, it's just foolishness. We have to ask the question, where does the Bible tell us that that's got to be the way? And if God doesn't tell us that's got to be the way, and he doesn't prohibit it. It may not make it wrong, but it it doesn't make it the gold standard. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what what if? But but we do have biblical principles of that of the of the orientation of a daughter and of a man of a son and how to train them. So what if we thought like you're thinking? What's it look like for my daughter and her career? Mm -hmm. And and think about that not in this worldly defeated thing that you just talked about where uh, well she's got to make sure she's got a way to provide for herself just in case it's a deadbeat well 
I mean, maybe if dad was going to be a dad, like a godly dad, then even if he was a deadbeat, she could come home. Imagine that. Like, what's... Turns out dad's a deadbeat, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's so bad about that? I mean, seriously, what's so bad about that? What's... Wh wh why, why would that be looked down on? I mean, what should be looked down on is the deadbeat husband that's not providing for his family. Yep. But the fact that she, seeking to be a godly woman, oriented towards her household, can't fall back on anything except to go back home. Mm -hmm. But again, what's so bad about that? Yep. The the what started it's terrible, right? Now again, there there are certainly cases like where um, uh, you don't have a godly father. Sure. Yeah. Right. So that's where, to some measure, the the church should be helpful. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like this is where this is where, like the grace of the of the situation is that we're not talking about hard fast rules. Yeah. So, in a situation like where a a mother has what might be a deadbeat husband. And a, a deadbeat father. Then the idea of her having a job where she can work and support her family to some measure, we're not saying that that's sinful. Absolutely not. We're not, we're not saying that that's ungodly or that that's even terrible. We're saying there's been a couple terrible things that happened before that, the mm -hmm. deadbeat husband, the deadbeat dad. But what about the case where dad's gone? You know, yep. dad, dad died off at war. So that's that's the best she's got. So we're not we're not condemning that. We're not saying that that's bad. Yeah. But we're saying like, are we setting it off on the wrong foot from the very beginning? Yeah, because our expectations. Challenging and here's, those expectations. Here's where we're saying there's an evil patriarchy at work because what's <laughs> happened is there's a deadbeat husband somewhere who's not doing jack to take care of his family. Yep. And he's got his wife off working so that he can be lazy. So, yeah, challenging those expectations from the front end rather than just trying to fix problems on the back end. Yes, absolutely. So I think one other aspect of this be helpful to talk about is like, what about daughters and careers? Mm -hmm. and, and I think I, I asked the question, I think it depends on what we mean by career. For most people, when they say career, they think ultimate purpose, value or meaning. They think their orientation. This is what I am. This is what I am. So as a as a daughter, she's trying to, she's thinking this is what I am and and pursuing that career. And and I think a godly parents will parent their daughter to realize that her career is first and foremost the household. Mm -hmm. That that that's her that's her career. If there's a place where you're going to find fulfillment and purpose, that's, then that needs to be ordained by God and His means. And that, for lady, is her orientation towards her household. Now, if that's in place and she wants to, to have a job, to get a degree and have a job where she's making money outside the household, then I'm okay with that. I don't think that that's a problem. Uh, 
especially like in those early years, like she just graduated high school. She's not married yet. Uh, she's going to get a degree. She enjoys a particular field. As long as she has in the back of her mind, how is this going to serve my household both now and going to serve my household in the future? then by all means, go get that degree. But if you get that degree or get that job and you're setting yourself up to not need or to not be able to function, to, let me back up, to not need a husband or to set yourself up in a way that you have a get out of, uh, you know, like a backup plan. Which both fly in the face of Peter's admonition to widows, which is to get married again. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, that's how you get your care. Yeah. And then it also, like it sets, it sets young ladies up, uh, in such a way that they, they just kind of disregard the household. So, um, if, if that job, so I don't care if you call it a career, you know, my wife in many ways has a career, mm -hmm. you know, she's a dental hygienist. She has to keep up continuing education so that she can continue her quote unquote career. She has to uh, keep up her uh, licensures and, and those things, and she wants to keep up her skill. And I, I think all those things are fantastic. But um, I, would, I would commend to read, uh, and many of you have read this, um, Even Exile. She does a great job of talking about career and the Proverbs 31 woman. And, and I'll, I'll, we'll end with this. I'll give the explanation and then an anecdote or a story. Uh, that, a, that as a woman, if she works for money outside the household, it needs to be for the primary express purpose of the good of the household. So again, her orientation is towards the household. The man, the man can work outside the household with the primary orientation and express or and, and emphasis on what is good outside the household. Her primary purpose needs to be the what is good for my household. Mm -hmm. All right. So with that said, let me back up one more caveat. That, that doesn't mean that, that she never goes and does good for anything else outside the household. We're just saying that that is the general orientation. That's what primary means. That's what primary. Well, some people means it means exclusive. Only. Only. And that's all there is to be said so that I can... Uh, I can build a straw man argument against your, your, your thought. So here's the anecdote. For, for Sarah and I, uh, when we decided to put our kids at Branches and Vine, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a private school, but we have to file as homeschoolers. We don't get any ed choice dollars. Now, it's not nowhere near the price of, um, of a private Christian school by any means. It's, it's actually probably a fifth or a sixth of the price. <clears throat> but in order to do that, we just didn't have the room in our budget. So... They were asking us how much we could afford to send our kids there. And, and we had to take a look at our budget. And what we decided was it really was going to require Sarah to work outside the home for us to be able to afford that. Well, we asked the question, so how much could we afford her working outside the home? So how much time could we give up there? Uh, and then... We asked the question, is her working outside the home for the primary emphasis of the household? And we believe it checks that box. Mm -hmm. So her working that extra day is not for us to have a boat. It's not for us to have 
um, you know, to go out to eat more. It's not for us to pay off credit cards. It's not for it's it's for our kids to have a particular education that we desire for our kids. It's mm-hmm. for our household. It's for the upbringing of our kids. So, which is her yeah. primary orientation? Which is her primary orientation? Yeah, absolutely. There yeah. you go. Well, I hope you've enjoyed going with us on this wheel of cultural maximalism. <laughs> and uh, it's, I thought, it's a good point you bring up is trying to illustrate what we really try to do with all of these things is take them around and apply it everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's even more crucial to see when we're dealing with something like the pattern of creation. Yeah. Uh, we're dealing with a, a big biblical theology topic, and, but there's still a lot of specificity that this can drive into. So, yeah, I think that's super helpful. Well, I hope that the distinctives have been helpful for you. They'll be on the website shortly and uh, in their their full glory. Um, <laughs> those are the things that we uh, want to hold forth as, as primary for us yeah. uh, and really drive us forward in our membership and in our church life. But next week we'll be starting Hebrews and looking forward to seeing what cold pizza sounds like uh, from Hebrews. Uh, it should mm-hmm. be enjoyable, especially in the in the outset for that. But with all that, we want to encourage you all to continue to know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. And we'll see you next week. See you guys.